In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, he said, And Samuel said, As the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Now listen to what he said. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Sacrifice was the way they worshiped in that day and time. They brought an animal to church with them and offered it as a sacrifice. What Samuel is actually saying there, the highest form of worship that you can give God is obedience to God. It's the highest form. God puts that above everything. When you worship Him through obedience, being obedient to God. My, my, the Lord is in this place tonight. Don't you just love the fact that you can enjoy His presence, His power? You know, something we need to understand these bodies that we have are earthly bodies, and they're not built to stay very long in the presence of God. It'll wear you flat out. It'll just wear you flat out. That's the reason we're going to get a new body. Well, we can live in His presence forever and ever and ever. Thank you, Pastor, for the day. I just appreciate it so much. And thank you guys for coming tonight. Someone asked me about our book back there. We've got a book back there that we wrote. It's in its ninth printing. We've taken the book of Revelation and put it in chronological order and connected with Daniel and what have you. It's back there. When Brother J.R. asked me to come about a year or so ago when we scheduled this, he said, I'd like to do end times emphasis on end times, and, but I've learned something through the years of time. You can get out here and predict who's going to be the Antichrist, and you can predict this nation and that nation, and the next year you've got to change it all. But if you stay within the confines of the Word of God and deal with the events that are going to take place according to the Scripture, you're pretty safe because God's Word is forever settled and it won't pass away. Amen? What I want to do tonight is deal with an event that there's a lot of controversy over in this day and time, and especially the closer we get to the funnel point of the coming back of Jesus Christ. And, and I will tell you up front, I believe with every fiber of my being that we're living in the last of the last days. We're living there. And uh, Brother J.R. and I was talking today, and he asked me, he said, do you think the United States is going to be in this end time? And I said, I can't find it scripturally, whether we will be a, a, a leading nation when this thing is over. And what I'm seeing with America right now, I can see that formulating. And it wouldn't surprise me when, well, according to the Scripture, all nations will turn against Israel. But if we do, before that time comes, we're sunk. Because that's what's keeping us afloat right now in the things of God. But I want to talk to you tonight about the return of the Lord and the second coming of Jesus Christ. There, the appearing of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus Christ 
is two events that are divided by time. And I want to deal with both of them tonight. And I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I've wrestled off and on today, and I gave them back there a card full of Scripture that we will probably use. And then I went back this evening and added some on the bottom of it. And so, did anybody bring a sack lunch with you tonight? Just anybody here? And I was going to let Brother J.R. pray for it and see if he can make it multiply because I know I can't. But <laughs> anyway, if you turn with me tonight to the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to read verse number 1 to begin with tonight. This verse is a very special verse because it houses two things in it in a small verse of Scripture here. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse number 1. Would you honor the reading of the scripture tonight as we read to you from the word of God? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 1, he said, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. The first part of that scripture could refer to the second coming or the appearing. But the last part of that scripture can only refer to the appearing of Jesus Christ when it said, our gathering together unto him. And this is what we want to uh, base on this message tonight is this, the difference between the appearing of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And let's divide them up tonight according to the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you tonight, we are so thankful that you have afforded us another privilege to congregate together our faith and just to lift you up. Now, God, we're a family of believers here tonight, and I'm praying that the Word of God will go forth, and Lord, that we'll be able to be led by the Spirit of God to answer questions that people have here in their mind and that we'll have clarity and we'll be looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. I pray you would bless, touch us, lift us up, cause us to walk in heavenly places. In Jesus' name I pray and I thank you, Lord. Praise God, praise God. You may be seated tonight. I've already stressed the two points of this passage of Scripture here. The first part could be the appearing or the second coming, but the last part can only be the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now let me put my definition up here front, and then we'll try to preach to it, all right? Sometimes I'm a preacher that preaches from a text. <laughs> that simply means I can get far from it if I'm not real careful and way out there. So I'm, I preach from a text. This is where we're going to start tonight. The difference between the appearing of Jesus Christ and the second coming is defined for us in the Word of God, and we'll get in that in a moment of time. But the appearing is where Jesus appears in the clouds and calls a church from this earth to meet him in the clouds and in the air. The second coming of Jesus is when he comes back from heaven all the way to this earth with that church that he called from the earth to meet him in the clouds and in the air. That is the distinguishable difference between the appearing of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's some great things for us in the Word of God, and the prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ actually started before Noah's flood. 
before the flood in Genesis 6, there was a prophecy that was given of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Brother Brandon or Brother Luke, I didn't give you this one, but if you go to Luke, or the book of Jude, the Jude just has one chapter, verse number 14. The book of Jude, verse number 14, and let me show you something here, that the prophecy of the second coming of Jesus Christ was actually prophesied before the flood came in Noah's day and time. In the book of Jude, verse number 14 said, And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied these sayings. The Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Wow. Enoch prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ before the flood of Noah. It's amazing when you look at all of this, and I'm not going to go into this tonight because I was stressing with Brother J.R. the other day. I meet from time to time with some us college students that have Bible questions, and man, do they have some Bible questions. I do minister seminars, and the preachers don't even ask the questions that these dudes ask. And I, I mean to tell you, they, they got some meat on the bone when they ask you these questions. But any prophesied about the second coming of Jesus Christ before Noah's flood. Now then, Matthew chapter 24, verse number 37, gives some insight to the coming of Jesus Christ because he said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. Then he goes ahead and he said they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage before Noah got on the ark. They wasn't expecting it to happen. It just happened. So what is a comparison? Let me get down here on the floor with you guys where I can look you eye to eye. But they wasn't expecting the flood to came to come even though Noah was preaching about the judgment that was going to happen. God had spoken to Noah to build an ark. I'm going to take a little minute here and, and uh, give you some insight to why Noah's ark and the day of Noah is mentioned in Matthew 24. And that is this, when God spoke to Noah to build an ark, he was very distinct in his plans given it to Noah. It had to be so long, so high, it had to be so wide, and it was three stories high. The three stories represented Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But then God spoke to Noah and said to Noah this, he said, I want you to pitch it within and without. Pitch was a tire substance that they put between the boards or logs or whatever they used to make this boat with, and it was to keep the floodwaters from coming inside the boat. But here's an amazing thing about the word uh, about the word pitch. It comes from a root word that means atonement. So the atonement was placed between the, the boards to keep the judgment of God from coming on the inside of the ark. Wow, that's the amazing thing there because it is a picture of the Jews going through the tribulation period. The picture of the appearing of Jesus Christ is identified in any because he connects us with this. But then God said put a door in the side of the ark. 
There's three sides in the history of the Word of God that saved man from annihilation. The first was the side of Adam, that God took a rib and made Eve. The second was the side of the ark that they went into to save the eight people that restarted the human race. And the third side was the side of Christ, where blood water flowed from his side to save man from eternally, eternally being lost without God. God told Noah, said, I want you to put three stories in this. The bottom story represented the foundation of the Father. The middle story where the door was represented Jesus Christ coming through the side of the ark. The upper story represented the Holy Spirit. It was an, in the upper story that there was a window there that, it, that Noah turned loose first, a raven. And raven represented sin. It left and did not return. Boy, I didn't plan to go this way with this tonight. But the second thing that he turned loose was a dove. And the dove is a type of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it ironic that, that about 3,000 years later or 4,000 years, whenever it was, there was an outpouring of the Spirit of God in where? In an upper room. Wow, uh, they could have got it down under a bridge downtown, but God's an authentic God. And so when Noah turned loose the dove, it went out there, gathered an olive branch, which represented anointing because it's from the olive that they get the anointing oil, and he brought it back. Oh, I preach all night on this, Pastor. I just wanted to stir your mind where you can get your mind wrapped around the symbolic news of the Scripture and the Word of God. So when Matthew says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. There is a correlation there between Noah's time and the time before Jesus Christ comes back in the clouds of glory. Well, let's, let's get in this tonight. Look, if you will, if you'll put up 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I'll start in verse 13 and read the rest of the chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Now, what I'm about ready to read to you tonight is this. It is a picture of that, that is one of the best identifications to us concerning the appearing of Jesus Christ. I'm going to start in verse 13, but won't you pay attention when I get to verse 16 and verse number 17. First Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse number 13. Paul said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Watch this. He calls the dead people asleep. Why? Because in verse 16 and 17, he's going to wake them up. But watch this. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, let's look at what we read here tonight. Verse number 16 and 17 said, the Lord himself. 
shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Verse 17, the dead in Christ shall rise first. I, I feel like I'm going to make a detour here, just shores the world, and answer somebody's question in here tonight. But here in verse 17 said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now it's been under an assumption that the reason the dead in Christ will rise first is because they're six foot underneath us. Can I tell you something without hurting your feelings? It's got nothing to do with how deep somebody's buried, that at all. There was people buried at sea. There's people that has never been buried. There was those that were fed to animals. What it means the dead in Christ rising first is this. They're the first to know about the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, Luke, I'm about to make a detour here, buddy. I'm going to give you a workout, all right? So follow me. Understand, when our loved ones pass away, there's, there, you probably had funerals right here in this building at some time or another, or funeral homes here that you've lost loved ones, and you go and you look at the body and you're, you're, of the emptiness that you feel there. But let me describe something to you as how God made us and how God put us together. I'm going to go to First Thessalonians. Thessalonians 5, chapter 5, and verse number 23. And I want you to watch this because this is how God has made us. Every individual here tonight is made in three parts. And there's a reason why that God made you in three parts. Now, I preach about the spirit, soul, and body and deal with that just only, but I'm going to kindly tag this tonight where we can get our mind around where I can show you from the Word of God why the dead in Christ rise first. Now watch this. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 23. He said, The very God of peace sanctify you holy. Now watch this. This is W-H-O-L-L-Y, not H-O-L-Y, which means completely the very God of peace sanctify you holy. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every individual on this planet Earth that's ever been born, that's here now, or ever will be born, is made in three parts. You have a soul, you have a spirit being, and you have a body. Two parts of you is eternal. Only one part of you is natural. That's your body. That's what your biological parents gave you, is your body. But the two parts that is eternal is soul and spirit. They are distinguishable for us in the Word of God. Now, now I, Luke, I didn't give you this one, so look it up, okay? I'm in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Only the Word of God can distinguish the difference between the soul and the spirit. Even though you have it on the inside, it is distinguishable and divided for us in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 says it like this. He said, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder the soul and the spirit, the joints and the mire, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. 
So the Word of God is the only thing that can distinguish the difference between the soul man and the spirit man. So let's go to the Word of God and find out who we really are. Look, if you will, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 11 and verse number 12. This has to do with identifying what your spirit man is and the function that it plays inside it. Lord have mercy, I wish I was preaching on this tonight <laughs> instead of just hitting it a lick or two because it tells us about ourselves sometimes and how God made us so we can connect with him. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse number 11. And here's what I want you to look for as I read this tonight. Your spirit man houses your intellect or your knowing. It houses your intellect and your knowing. Watch this. He said, for what man knows, K-N-O-W-S, for what man knows the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know, that we might know, that we might know the things freely given to us of God. Wow, your spirit man, did you see the first part of verse 11? Back up there, Luke to verse 11. For what man knows the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him. You know, hey son, can, I, can you just... I don't know how you run that computer, but will you back up to verse 8 and let me bring it down to verse 11 tonight because this will tell you it sets the stage here on the knowing, all right? If you look at this in verse number 8, he said, which none of the prince of this world knew. Now watch the knowing here. Which none of the prince of this world knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You know what that verse says? If the devil had have known what was going to happen after the cross, he just said to the demons, leave that dude alone. Don't have nothing to do with him. Let him die of old age. That's what he would have said. But he said, which none of the prince of this world knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Watch verse number nine. But as it is written, eyes have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered the heart of man the things God hath prepared for them that love him. What's verse nine saying? In your wildest imagination, in your wildest knowing, in the carnal, you can't possibly figure out what heaven's all about. You can't figure out that one day we're going to be 5,000 years old and doing good. That's hard to get your mind around in the natural. But look what he said in verse 10. In verse number 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. What's he saying? Through divine revelation, God will reveal to you what life's going to be like when this life is over through the precious power of the Word of God. And that brings us to verse 11 that said, For what man knows the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Your spirit man houses your intellect. 
It's not the only thing that it does, but this is scripture. I didn't make this up. I'm reading this to you. It houses your intellect. Now then watch this. What does the soul do? What part does the soul play? Luke, go to Psalms 42, verse number five and verse number six. This is the best rendition of knowing the, what the soul, the part that the soul plays. In Psalms chapter 42, in verse number five and verse number six, he gives us this insight. He's, and, and David is talking here because he's in a depressed state of mind. He said, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Look at verse six. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan, the Heromites and the Heomizar. Now watch this. Your soul houses your emotions. Your spirit houses your intellect. Isn't it amazing how God put us together? Oh, he even designed a worship service that will worship, will, will, will attend to the whole person. When you come to this church and this group gets up here and they get that music going and they get to singing and they do it so well, it's a feeling that touches your soul. Then your pastor gets up here and opens the word of God that feeds your spirit. So when you leave the house of God, you have been touched by the almighty God of heaven because he designed you so he could touch you in that special way. So my soul has my feelings and my, my, my a spirit man has my knowing. Oh, I gotta go a little bit deeper in this. I'm gonna tell you something you may not know, but I don't get up every morning feeling saved. Yeah. I don't get up every morning with goosebumps. There's days I get up, I wonder. There's days I get up, Peggy wonders. Yeah. I don't feel a thing. That's the reason Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. I know that I have passed from death unto life. God made me so I could have a knower. And I got a feeler. And my feeler don't always feel saved. But Manoah knows I am. And so Manoah starts punching on my feeler and says, Mr. Feeler, you don't feel it right now, but we're still redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been saved by the presence of God. We're part of the family of God. And it's not long till my feeler gets to feeling what Manoah knows. <laughs> and when my feeler gets to feeling what Manoah knows, it addresses my body. And when I'm in my body, that's what you see. Now I can smile from ear to ear. Now I got a spring in my feet. I got a clap in my hand. Why? Because God made us so we could be ministered to and work worship him who he made us so we could worship him. Wow. I got to get in this a little bit deeper and I sure didn't plan this. I'm sorry, bud. I gave him a list of scripture, but you're doing good. Go to St. John chapter four, verse 24. St. John chapter four, verse 24. Now watch this because God made us so he could connect with us. In St. John chapter four, verse 24, he said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. 
now. You're trailing right along with me now. God put a spirit inside of you so he can connect with you. He connects with us spirit to spirit, spirit to spirit. I know whom, whom I have believed. I know that I have passed from death unto life. I know that my Redeemer lives. God is a spirit. And he said, if you're going to worship him, this is the way you do it. In spirit and in truth, in knowing and by the word of God. Oh, Lord have mercy. I'd like to just preach on soul and spirit right now and just go from there. But God made us so that we could connect with him. Now then, I said all that to say this. When you lose a loved one, when you lose a person that you love and they're very dear to you, you come up and view them in the casket, the body is there, but what made them who they actually are, their knowing and their feelings, what made them laugh, what made them cry, what made them think, what made them who they really are, left this body. You know why? Because God called his breath home. You see, the breath of God is the glue that holds the soul and spirit inside the body. And when God calls his breath home, who you actually are can't stay there no longer without the breath of God. And if you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, immediately the soul and the spirit leaves the body and it goes into the presence of God. Luke, I'm not going to tell you where this is at, but I'm going to tell them. You write this down, look it up when you get home. 2 Corinthians 5 and 8 gives us this. He said, we have confidence that we know that when we, that, that when, when we have, when this body is over with, when it's all said and done, we leave this body to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. When that body, when God calls the breath home, that soul and spirit of who you actually are leaves and goes into the presence of God. If you had a zipper on this body and you could just unzip it and pull it back, the soul and the spirit has image and likeness to it. You know why? Because God made Adam in spirit and in likeness and in image and it has image. God's tangible. He's a spirit, but every part of God is spoken to us in the word of God. His hands, his hair, his feet, his body. Moses was under the hand of God. When God passed by, God took his hand down and Moses viewed God from the backside. You understand? God is tangible. He can be touched even though he's spirit. So your loved ones that have left this earth and are in the presence of God, they're not in a big sleep somewhere, but they're in the presence of the almighty God of glory. They're not sick. They're not weak. They're not frail, but they are soul and spirit. They're tangible. They talk. They sit down and they visit and they are in the presence of God. So when God said the dead in Christ is going to rise first, he just simply said he's got to bring them back from heaven down to this earth to get their new body out of the old body. Wow. That's how God put us together. Ah, I'm going to put some word on this. You know, I don't care for opinions. Opinions, everybody's got one. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got noses, but some's bigger than others. That's right. So I don't like opinions because the word of God settles it all. When that says it, argument's over. Luke, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 
and I'm going to read verse uh, 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 14. Now, remember, verse 16 and 17, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, them of which are alive and remain. But let me show you something by the Word of God. Verse 14, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse number 14. Here's what he said. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, watch this now, those that do what? Sleep in Jesus. Will God do what? Oh, he's going to bring them with him. Well, if he's going to bring them with him, they got to be with him. Oh, that kind of takes the fuss out of it, don't it? <laughs> he's going to bring them with him. Why? Because it's where they left their old body. I'm, Lord have mercy. I'm, I'm trying to preach on end times tonight, but this just keeps stretching out there. This is the reason I don't preach from notes. I preach from notes, I'll stay with them, but I'm like this. I just stretch out there and, and feel and try to answer questions that I feel you've got in your mind. How is God going to get a new body out of the old body when the old body deteriorates and goes back to the dust of the earth? Well, really, I thought you'd never ask, so I'll answer it for you, all right? Now, look at this from the Scripture, from the Word of God. Luke, I'm not sure I gave you these either, but here it is. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and verse number 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and verse number 20. He said, what? Know ye not that your body, your B-O-D-Y, your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Now, what's that saying? There is an anointing that comes in the body at salvation. When you receive Jesus Christ into your heart and your life, there is an anointing that comes with that that never leaves. Let me show you that. I'm in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 11. Now, this will make it pretty clear here for us to understand. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 11. He said, but if the Spirit... I'll, I'll wait on you. Yeah, there it is. But if the Spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, there's that anointing, He that raised Christ from the dead will do what? Will also quicken your mortal... Mortal's what you got now. Will also quicken your mortal body by his same spirit that dwells in you. So when you die, that anointing of the Spirit of God never leaves, it never leaves. It knows where the ashes are at. It knows where the dust is at. And when the trumpet of God sounds, God brings the soul and the spirit back with him, and the anointing that's in that body will resurrect that body from the ground and from the dust, and it will come together with a soul and spirit and they will be eternal. Now at the same time that we which are alive and remain, there's going to be a change made with us. Oh, oh, oh I'm going to tear you up, son. Watch this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. I'm just, I'll just spot read this for you, Luke. Watch this. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, he said, some men will say, how are the dead raised? 
asked them, with what body do they come? They were asking the same questions then that we ask right now. So he said, some men will say, how are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? Can you scroll down to verse 38 and look at this? Watch this now, verse 38. But the Bible said, God has given it a body as it has pleased him to every seed his own body. Oh, wow. Now, if that's not clear enough, go down to verse 49. <laughs> wow. You're doing good, son. I'm going to give you a waffle carrot when this thing's over tonight, all right? In verse number 49, look at this. Watch this, what it says. He said, as we have borne the image, image is what you look like, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we'll also bear the image of the heavenly. And this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. I'll stop right there. All right. We shall not all, I'll pick that up in a minute, okay? Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. What I just read to you, verse 35, 38, and 49, just simply tells us this. Our new body is going to look something like the body we have right now. The only difference is there'll be no imperfection in it. I'll have a head full of hair, preacher. <laughs> yeah, and only one chin. Boy, I, I'm looking forward for that. I can tell you that. I, I'm tell you, listen to me. I don't care how much special cave cornflakes you eat. It don't make any difference how much Botox you have and how many treadmills you wear out. This body's going to wear out and die. You older folks here, have you ever laid a mirror down on a table and bent over and look at it? Don't. Your face falls. It just falls. You don't even recognize who it is. It's scary. This body's going to wear out because it was designed because it's an earthy body. It'll wear out. But we're going to get a new body We'll have the features we've got right now, but we will be eternal. Did I give you this, Luke? There's one there, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2. 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2. Now look at this. This is important to see because I want to bless you tonight. I want to lift you up. I want you to know who you are in Christ Jesus and that God has a plan for you. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2, he said, Now, beloved, we are the sons of God. And we don't know what we'll be like, but he said, we, now I'm kind of paraphrasing this in Arkansas language, all right? He said, we don't know what we'll be like, but we know this. When he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Watch this now. When Jesus left here, he was age 33. I believe the eternal age will be 33 years old. When I was 33 years old, I had a head full of black hair. It was thick as it could possibly be. I, only, I was 50 pounds lighter and only had one chin. I have the end of this finger and it's been gone. Well, when I get that new body, all that 
that I'm missing is going to be restored. And my youth is going to be restored as well. And I'm going to live with him forever and forever. So there is an event that gives us insight. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me reread verse 16 and 17. I love the word of God. It just takes the fuss out of everything. It just says it out there and you can connect the Bible like a puzzle. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 and verse number 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to do what? To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now watch what he's saying here all my life. My dad used to preach, boy, when the trumpet sounds, I'm going to leave here. I'm going right up through the Big Dipper, Plast Pluto. I'm going up to the third heaven. Well, that's true. But you've got one stop to make, and it's in verse 17. We're going to meet the Lord in the clouds and in the air. Why is that? Why is that the meeting place where the dead's going to come from the, from the grave, and we're going to be changed if it happened right now, and then we're going to meet the, the Lord in the clouds and in the air? Here's why. Luke, you didn't get this in either, buddy. But go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 2. And watch this play out from the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 2. He said this, the devil's territory. He's the prince of the power of the air. So when the trumpet sounds, God's going to call a church of the redeemed from this earth. And we're going to meet him in the devil's devil's territory. I, I really like that. You know why? Because it's show-off time for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're going to be changed from the corruptible to the incorruptible, from the mortal to the immortal. We're going to have a robe of white on. Can you just visualize this? A multitude in the clouds and in the air, in the devil's territory, and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to announce that you won't find this in the King James or the NIV, but we're going to meet in the devil's territory, and we, I don't know how long we're going to be there, but it said we'll meet him in the clouds and in the air. I believe he'll holler and say, Lucifer, get your gang together, boy. Look this group over. You tried to everything in the world. You discouraged them. You ripped their families from them. You took their health. You took their finances from them. You shamed them. You disgraced them, but they just kept going. They wouldn't quit. They just kept going. And they have overcome. We'll stand there as the demons of hell will bow their head in shame. I hope I'm on the outside rim. I, I really do. But I just got a little mean streak in me. And I just can't help it. I hope I find that devil that's given me all the trouble through the years of time. I'm going to walk over him. I'm going to knock a knot on his head. He'll have to tiptoe to touch. I'll tell you that. Because God is going to show the church of the living off there. We're going to show us up. This is the group of the redeemed. I don't know how long that will be, but I do know after he's shown us off, we'll leave there and go to the third heaven where God lives. We'll sit down at the marriage table of the Lamb and enjoy the presence of God and the saints of all ages of time.
That's the event of the appearing of Jesus Christ, and I hadn't even got to the second coming yet. <laughs> yeah. It's real. He's going to call us from this earth to meet him in the clouds and in the air. Now then, Luke, go to Zechariah chapter 5 and verse, or, or chapter 14, rather, and verse 5. Now, when you get home, read Zechariah chapter 14. Because it is a prophecy of the end times. It's when the Antichrist is going to surround Israel and Jerusalem, have them backed against the corner. In fact, this verse 2 said, all nations, A-L-L, all nations, none excluded. All nations will gather together against Jerusalem. There'll be a representation of every nation that's a nation at that time. And then the Lord will come back and his feet will touch Mount Olive and cleave in the midst thereof. Because those Jews are surrounded and there's a remnant left and they, their back is against Mount Olive. When the mountain cleaves in the middle, that's their escape. They'll leave. Jesus comes down and stands between them and the Antichrist and his army. And saves the remnant of the Jews. But here's what I want you to see in verse 5. In verse number five, he gives us this insight. He said, you'll flee to the valley. The valley is what, what the Mount Olive is going to make. You'll flee to the valley of the mountains and the, that will reach from Azal and the earthquake in the days of Uzziah. But what's this? Last part of verse five and said, and his saints will be with him. Wow. His saints will be with him. Well, if they're coming back with him, how in the world did they get up there? Listen, you can get daylight past the rooster. Easier than you can get the appearing of Jesus past the church. There's going to be one. Yeah, I've done a minister seminar here a while back. I had some preachers collar me because they didn't believe in the appearing of Jesus Christ. I gave them this scripture and I said, how in the world are we going to come back with him? Oh, he said, that doesn't mean come back. We're going to meet him over there. I said, how are we going to meet him? He said, we're going to take planes and boats. I said, get down. Get down. You know better than that. We'll sit down at the marriage table of the Lamb with saints of all ages. Now, let me clarify a question because I get this a lot. Boy, Brother Dean, when I get there, I got a lot of questions to ask the Lord. No. When you're changed from the corruptible to the incorruptible, from the mortal to the immortal, every question you have will be answered at that point. Let me show you that in the scripture. I apologize. You're going to get two carriages when this is over tonight. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. I'm going to start in verse 9, probably read the rest of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 9. Now, I want you to watch this tonight as it unfolds because there's not going to be an introduction. He's not going to spend a thousand years introducing me to Peter, James, John, and Paul and all of that. Now, watch what this says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9, he said, For we know in part, that's now, I don't know it all. Now, I've run across a few people that don't even own encyclopedias because they know everything. And I try to stay away from them if I can. And I advise you to do the same. 
Because we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. What is that which is perfect? It's not the Bible. It's the eternal age. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Look at verse number 11. I love this. When I was a child, he said, I spake as a child. I could like one. <laughs> I understood a child. I thought a child. But when I become a man, I put away childish things. Verse 12. For now, we see through a glass darkly. But then, face to face. Watch a glass darkly. When you walk to that window in the morning, it's all steamed up. You can't see nothing. And you wipe it, it's a little better, but it's still fuzzy. That's what he's talking about. But then, we'll see face to face. Now verse 12, watch this. He said, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. What you mean? I'll be sitting down at the marriage table of the Lamb, and I look over there, and I say, Hey, Timothy, pass me a biscuit, bud. Peter, push that gravy down here. Give me a little leg of lamb there, Silas. Can't you see old Paul coming down the line? And when I get there, I won't need these glasses. There'll be no imperfection at all. I'm thinking, God, that because I'm supposed to be wearing hearing aids and I can't stand them. I won't need these glasses and I'll be able to see that banquet table from one end to the other. And it's going to be huge. Old Paul will come down there and he's slapping everybody on the back and he'll slap me on the back and said, Hey, Dean, good to see you, bud. And I'm going to lean back and I'm going to say, Hey, man, when I got a whole 1 Corinthians chapter 15 lands, it changed my life, buddy. You had some insight there. The marriage table of the Lamb. Then after, I don't know how long a meal it is, but I'm going to eat a long time. I'm good at that. Yeah. For some of you fat folks here like I am, you're never too big as long as you can fit between your arms. Live by that. That'll alleviate a whole lot of stress for you. Yes, you're just never too big as long as you can fit between your arms. Now, Peggy said, I'm getting to a point I can't hardly fit, but I'm still there. Now then, our Lord to make announcement. Fill their glass up again because it's going to be a communion service there like you never dreamed because of Matthew 26. Don't go there, Luke. I'm just going to, I've done run you all over the Bible tonight. Jesus said, I'll drink no more of the vine till we drink it together. There'll be bread and wine, blood and body. Boy, I wish I had time to explain all of that, why that is, why we use the emblems of bread and wine, but it's all in the Word. But And then he's going to say, mount up, folks. We're going back. Yeah, I've heard people say, I've got a one-way ticket to heaven. I hate to bust your bubble. you got a round ticket. 
We was in church, we up in the mountains here a couple years ago, and man, there's somebody wrote a song, and they got up there, and they're singing, and people shouting all over the building. I'm going to heaven, and I'm never coming back. And they were just shouting all over the building. I leaned over the pastor, and I said, that ain't so. He said, what? They up shouting that when I just whispered in his ear, I said, that ain't so, preacher. He said, you sure? I said, I'm positive. We're coming back with him. He said, oh, please don't tell them that tonight. I said, oh, your secret's safe with me, buddy. Luke, go to Revelation chapter 19. I'll start in verse 11. This is the second coming. And I'm not going to cover all this tonight because I have, I better get these glasses on. I can't see a thing without my glasses. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse. He that sat upon him is called faithful and true, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were flame of fire, and on his head was many crowns, had a name written that no man knew but he himself, clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Look at verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed after him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, who is that bunch? That's us. Oh, I felt that bounce when I said that. <laughs> Let me prove it. The other side of the page, Luke, verse 7 and 8. Chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. Watch this now. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife had made herself ready for under her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Look at what she's wearing. Fine linen, clean and white. White and clean. Now go back to verse 14 see if that ain't the same clothing. And the armies which were in heaven followed after him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We're coming back with him. And in order to come back with him, we first got to go up with him. In order to come back with him. You just can't get around it. That's how it's laid out as an end time event. Jesus is coming. He's coming. What a reunion that's going to be. Now, I don't have time to preach about heaven and the reunion, but there'll be family in heaven. I addressed that in them CDs back there in the book. There'll be family in heaven. Your family. That's all Bible. I'm not making that up. I, read, I can read it to you over and over and over again through the pages of the Word of God. What a reunion it's going to be when we all get there. Some of us here may go by the way of the grave before Jesus comes, but that's all right. I like to die with COVID in 2020. I was in the hospital. I wouldn't let them put me on a ventilator. My oxygen got down in the 70s. 
One of the nurses come in there, and she was just a bundle of joy. They want to put me on the ventilator, and I said, I'm not going. Got too many friends died from it. Not going to do it. She started out, and she said, Mr. Caldwell, you could die. I said, ma'am, you can't threaten me with heaven. You can't threaten me with heaven. I'm convinced it's there for me. And it's there for you. Would you bow your heads with me, please, tonight?